Exodus chapter 8 this evening. Sunday night, Genesis to Revelation. J. Vernon McGee did it in five years. We're working on that. God has asked Pharaoh over and over and over again to, and he's been very polite about it, uh, to release his people to go into the wilderness in order to worship uh, him. And, that, and, that's a, and Pharaoh is he's just a tough guy and uh, doesn't help the fact doesn't help that in Egypt they believed that the Pharaoh was divine that he was a god so when you've been raised that way and the people around you think that uh, of you you can be a little stubborn on things but at this point he's he's just not going he's not listening to god and he's digging in and he's he's just going to try and prove how tough he is he has no idea who it is that he's up against in the lord and the lord uh he loves us enough to win in any situation in our lives and he always wins he will always win in every situation and uh, that's how as it should be he's the only one smart enough and loving enough and and wise enough to to win and handle all of that that properly and to know how how to win God is is going to unleash a series of ten plagues uh, on the uh, land of Egypt we got two plagues in last time but he's he's going to unleash a series of ten plagues uh, for a particular reason they're not just random kind of things that he decides to ravage the uh, nation of, of Egypt uh, with these things. He's, it's very deliberate, it's very measured, it's very purposeful. Three things he wants to do. He wants to secure the release of his people from Egypt. He's got a timetable. He gave him a promise they'd be out at a certain time. And you better, he, when he gives a promise, he's going to keep that promise. And, and Pharaoh's going to try and, and unknowingly make a liar of God in keeping that promise. And that God just, he keeps all of his promises. So he's going to deliver them out, like he said. The second reason for the plagues that he's bringing on is to judge Egypt as a consequence for their sin against the Jewish people against the nation of Israel because of their enslaving them uh, making uh, tremendous wealth for their nation on the basis of that slave labor in the death throwing their children into the Nile River and and these kinds of things and God is going to judge them for that and that's part of what he's doing in these plagues and the third reason because he loves the Egyptians too that he brings the plagues on is he is in each plague exposing some Egyptian deity uh, as a foolish thing to worship and the Egyptians worshiped a lot of different gods so he is each time he comes in and he messes with the weather he messes with the river he messes with the crops he messes with the animals and stuff he is coming against a particular god that the Egyptians believed in to protect those things and by destroying those things he's saying look who's stronger and you need to turn to me now, some people look and say wow did he did he have to wipe out Egypt I mean that thoroughly listen every single time he brings a plague he politely asks that his request 
would be granted, you know, one more time and let these people free to come and worship me. But God thinks differently than we do. Uh, we think in terms of, okay, I, I got a car and it's worth so much and I got a house and I got a this and I got an apartment and the, house and, and the furnishings and the thing and all these uh, material things. With the end of the world that we would lose all of the material things. God doesn't look at it that way. To him, if he has to wipe out the wealth of Egypt in order to get them to see the folly of the idols that they're worshiping so they will turn from that and then worship the true and the living God and be right for eternity he doesn't even blink at that when that choice is given to him and so he's trying to get through to the people of is of Egypt spiritually also in in all uh, of this now we'll pick things up there in verse uh, 12 because he's already uh, done plague number one which was turning the Nile River into blood and then he's moved into plague number two frogs over all of the land and then verse 12 Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and uh, he asked that the frogs would be removed and that plague would end and Moses uh, cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh and so the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses out of the courtyards and out of the fields and they gathered them together Together in heaps and the land. I love the Bible. It stank. Just so care. It's so careful, but it says it. And when Pharaoh, this is where we left last time, but it was incomplete. It was just a terrible place to stop. But the time was gone. And here's Pharaoh's reaction after that. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. And he did not heed Moses and Aaron as the Lord uh, had said that he would. And so here he is. He comes and he says, please just do anything. Get rid of these frogs. And Moses said, you name the day so that when they're dead and all, you'll know that God did it and all. But as soon as the pressure was off of Pharaoh, the pressure of, of, of God's judgment, he changes his mind and he goes back to his old ways. And I'll tell you, that didn't end with Pharaoh. That goes on, you know, many people deal with God in that way. What, they, they run to God and, and when they're desperate and they know only He can help them in this situation and they hit this crisis in their life and now they start reading the Bible and they start going to church and all those things are, are wonderful, important. But the moment the pressure of the situation eases, they go back to their old ways. So there's a, a financial reversal, and they run to God. A medical diagnosis, run to God. A marriage problem, run to God. And then as soon as there's just the slightest good news or pressure on, on that front, or even a blessing now from walking with God, they just jettison out of that, and, and they go right back to their old ways. Why? Because they didn't really want God. They, they wanted God in the sense that they wanted Him to take care of the situation, but they didn't really want God, they just wanted the situation taken care of. And when a person's in that kind of a cycle, that's what's going on. They, they, they don't like uh, the consequences, the pressure, but as soon as that's relieved, out they go. And it's not only true of an individual, it's true of nations too, isn't it? Isn't it interesting where you get an uh, economic reversal in a country, a uh, terrorist attack in a country, a natural disaster in a country for about, depending on the severity, for about somewhere between one and four weeks, 
the churches all fill. And it's like, don't start a building project. They'll be gone in a blink as soon as, as the pressure is, is off on that. And it's just the way, the way so often that people are in, in kind of Pharaoh's uh, place. It's kind of uh, amusing in a sick kind of way, but um, when you watch some kind of a disaster hit, like in the United States of America, and then uh, what happens? I mean, you get even the most anti-God politicians in existence calling on people to pray to God. I mean, they can almost can't even choke his name out of their mouth. And, you know, God bless America, they close the speeches and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then as soon as the pressure is off, out, out they go back to business as, as usual. Because their hearts are wrong. Like Pharaoh, they just want God to get them out of the jam. And, uh, uh, and then as soon as they do, they go back to the old ways. And we don't want to be like that. But this is characteristic of Pharaoh, characteristic of so many. It's a cycle in his life. Now we go to plague number three, and the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all of the land of uh, Egypt. Now, this is different because this third plague, unlike the previous two plagues, no announcement, no warning to Pharaoh related to this. And maybe because of his refusal, he didn't keep his word and that kind of thing. But he's not going to keep his word all the way through until uh, the very end when he's, he's forced to. And so this one comes in, no warning, and, uh, and the, he has to hit the dust. And there's a, there's a god in Egypt that was the god of the desert. When he talks about dust, uh, Egypt is a very dry place. It has the rivers, it has the flow of water. It's a very dry, arid place beautiful uh, climate there. I mean, it's beautiful day, 365 days out of the year there. They have this wonderful river and tributaries that, that uh, supply it with, with its water. So they have this desert god, and most of it is, is, is arid. And, uh, and, and so uh, by striking the dust, turning it into, lust, uh, into lice, it is a, um, uh, uh, it, uh, a judgment against that that God. And so they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All of the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. How would you like to just look down at the ground and see it just squirming with lice? Ever had lice? Don't, don't shout out. Don't shout out. And that kind of thing. If, you have, if you've raised kids and they've been in school or in certain environments, we've even, once in a while, I shouldn't say this really with a children's church and everything, but once in a while we've had in the 20 plus years a couple situations where somebody had, one of the kiddos had head lice and stuff. I mean, it's always making its, its cycle still around. And, uh, oh, I remember us when we dealt with that a few times and, and you've got to buy all the shampoos and you've got to wash the whole thing and then you've got to pick those nits out. Pick those little old nits out, comb them out, you know, and the whole deal. And so it's pretty, uh, pretty gross, pretty expensive too. I'm not complaining. I was glad for the shampoos, but I mean, I'm not giving that stuff away. But it's a pretty gross kind of, of of a thing. One of the things about the Egyptians is they were very, very particular about their hygiene. They were known for bathing all of the time, and uh, it's said that one of the reasons that so many of the men kept their heads shaved. Uh, was in order to uh, prevent lice and prevent some of these different kinds of things that that uh, 
people would be dealing with. So they were very particular about that, and this would have been uh, particularly disgusting to them. It's disgusting to anyone on, on any level, but, um, but it would have been especially disgusting to them. And then the magicians, uh, I don't know how much these guys are getting paid, whether union, non-union, or what, but uh, the magicians so worked with their enchantments, and they brought forth more lice. Uh, or they wanted to, to do it, but they could not, for there were lice on man and beast. And then the magicians, when they couldn't duplicate the miracle, as they had uh, the previous two miracles, then they said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Uh, Pharaoh, we're, th- whoever this God is, uh, we're in double A, and he's in the majors. We're dealing with a God that is way beyond anything we can do. And it's kind of their way of saying, you better start listening to what these people are saying to you because whoever this God is, he's just outstripping us in every way. Now that took some courage on their part because again, Pharaoh considers himself uh, to be divine and, and so you can't just come and yell at him or something like that for being silly and uh, not so smart in this thing and, and so they're gently trying to prod him toward the, you know, the right uh, thing to do here but Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord uh, had said and so he's not, he's not willing to listen to this even the lice is uh, not going to move him at all and the Lord said he would harden his heart and so uh, he did anybody scratching? That whole, start talk about you know lice and you just start thinking stuff don't you? and, and then the, the uh, fourth plague verse 20 and the Lord said to Moses rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water so he apparently walked out in the morning uh, to the Nile River is his, his custom and then say to him uh, thus says the Lord let my people go that they may serve me God just keeps it keeps bringing that request forward to him and then he gives him a warning or else now those are two words you don't want to hear from God there's no reason to hear from God unless we're resisting what it is that he's telling us to do but Pharaoh is and so he hears it or else if you do not let my people go behold I will send swarms of flies on you and not just swarms of flies but on you and and on uh, in your servants on your people and on your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand you can't walk anywhere and put your foot down walking in Egypt now without squishing a whole bunch of flies that's kind of disgusting isn't it and and uh, so that's what is, is being called now they had the Egyptians worshiped at least two gods who were represented uh, by flies and so they're powerless to, to stop this uh, plague uh, of, of the Lord obviously the, even the fly gods can't control the flies and then it's another way of the Lord saying you want to worship these things then I'm going to give you what you worship up to here and see how you like it and one of the great things about worshiping the God of the Bible the true and the living God is he can give us him up to here and we will love it uh, if we've got a heart condition it may take us right present with the Lord because it's so excellent uh, knowing him we want all of him that we can get but he's the only God that's like that there's everything else there idols and 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 false uh, gods so the warning goes forth this is what's going to happen and in that day 
Um, I, he, the warning goes out to Pharaoh, and in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel will, in, uh, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. So now he begins to differentiate between the Egypt and the, peop- and the Egyptians and the children of Israel. Now that's a miracle on its own. So he's going to bring in this, this uh, great plague of the flies, but he's going to establish a protection of the children of Israel in Goshen. First mention of a no-fly zone. Uh, in... Now, you, you did like that. You did. Now, I haven't been waiting, like, all night to say that, but it, it is, it's right there. Nothing new under the sun, really. It's all right. I don't know how that stacks up to the law of first mention uh, in the Bible or anything like that. But this was a miracle on, on God's part in, in just protecting them uh, in, in this way. And, uh, and, and so uh, here he is. I'm going to give the warning, going to make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. And thick swarms of flies came to the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all of the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarm of flies. And so they just come in. Now don't think of these... Uh, flies that we have in, in, come into your house in the summer and that kind of thing. They're pesky enough. But it's not talking about that kind of fly. The fly that they had there in Egypt and all is kind of, a livestock fly. You ever been to a dairy or to where you know they have livestock and that kind of thing and you just mind your business listening to somebody talking everything and then all, all of a sudden it's like something just took a quarter pound out of your arm or your leg. What is that? You know, and he thinks, looking for some creature about this big that's got... And then, you know, the dairyman says, oh, it's just the flies out here. The flies out here. A fly can bite like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the kind of flies that, that they had. So, again, it's just disgusting. Just disgusting. I won't rest. I with one fly alive in my house. I exercise the full dominion given to me by God as a man. That thing is going to die uh, in the house. We're not going to have any rest till that thing dies. It's just, and I feel so, you know, city boy, but it still feels good to be the mighty hunter in my own home. And I noticed that, you know, they got those, uh, they have, we got one in the kitchen. I don't... It, you can eat the food we serve around here. It's not like we're dealing with a lot of flies or anything. But they've got the, the zapper ones. I saw that in there. So I was just messing with it. It looked like a little tennis racket. They're big old. It's high tech today. Everything's like that. And, and I went and I turned the thing on and everything. And I clicked the button and it went like that. So I'm glad I wasn't like pounding it against my hand or something. So anyway, we get rid of those flies. But that's, that's what was going on. And it was a judgment though against against the fly god and, and, and all, getting him to turn to the Lord. And then uh, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. So here's the first of four compromises that, that uh, um, uh, Pharaoh offers to Moses uh, uh, rather than allowing Moses to do what God had called him to do. He's, when he says, go, go, uh, offer your, go sacrifice to your God in the land, he's talking about the land of Egypt. But God said, I want my people to go into the wilderness and, and offer sacrifices 
uh, to me. And so God doesn't accept compromises. If he had wanted them to sacrifice in Egypt, he knew how to say that. I mean, he, he's very well aware of nuance and qualification and those things. So he knows what he's, what he's saying. He that's not acceptable to, to him. But that, that's what Pharaoh comes in. And, uh, and so, listen, you can go. You just can't go into the, the wilderness. You can offer those sacrifices there uh, in, in the land of Egypt. Now, in terms of biblical typology, Egypt is biblically a type of the world. Because the children of Israel are going to be redeemed uh, out of uh, Egypt in the same way that a Christian is redeemed out of the world were delivered out by, by God and by the Holy Spirit and, and so Egypt is a type of the world and Pharaoh is a type of, of Satan and, uh, and so God is wanting us for us to redeem us from the bondage of this world and Satan works very hard just as Pharaoh did related to the children of Israel Satan works very hard in, in resisting uh, God's work to, to redeem us from our Egypt from the bondage of this world and so here you got Pharaoh he uses the same device with the children of Israel that so often the devil tries to use on us in other words he, what he's saying here is you can go and worship God uh, uh, but there isn't any need for you to separate yourself from Egypt Go worship God and all, but don't get all crazy and everything and, and leave the way that the ways of the world and all to do that. Everybody, you ever hear this where people say, you know, everybody needs a little religion, everybody needs a little God in their lives and all, but don't, don't start going crazy and going to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And that, I mean, that's, that's the definition of a cult in, in, uh, it's in the United States of America today and all. And don't be separating yourself from your old friends and your old hangouts and the old environments and all. Let's just kind of meet, meet halfway. That's what Satan does. Because he knows that once a person invites Christ into their life, I mean, he's lost that battle. So now what he wants to do is render them ineffective in, in, in uh, being used by the Lord. So he tries to get us to settle for a life of compromise. But no Christian... No Christian could ever, can ever grow into the fullness of what God wants uh, to do with our lives and in our lives by remaining in Egypt, by remaining in the world. And we must not allow the world to remain the dominant influence in our life once we come to Christ. And, and so that's not, God didn't want to have some kind of a halfway thing for the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. He has not even kind of halfway plan for us coming out of the world. Now notice uh, Moses' response. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? And, and Moses raises a very practical uh, problem with this compromise that Pharaoh offers, and that is every animal that we, would that we would offer to God in the worship of our God is worshipped as a god by Egypt. So if we go out there and sacrifice a bull, then they're going to be all upset that, uh, concerning the you know, blasphemy against their bull god and that kind of a thing, and there'd be a riot. And all you have to do is just look around the world even today to see the riots that are created when somebody is offended uh, in, a, in a religious way. And so Moses realizes this isn't, isn't going to, to work at all. And Pharaoh's uh, response then is, uh, in, in Moses then 
uh, repeats the demand, verse 27, and we will go three days' journey in the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. And so Pharaoh responds and says, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Now he, he, he offers a second compromise. Only you shall not go very far away. All right, you can go into uh, the wilderness, but you can't go too far. Uh, in in there you need to stay you know close to uh, Egypt and the equivalent for us is sure go ahead and get saved but live close to the world live close to the old ways live close to the bondage and and all of that don't put any distance between you and and your old uh, life make it real easy for you to return to Egypt if if you need to and that's the compromise that he offers and and then Moses said indeed I am going out from you and I will entreat the Lord uh, he, Pharaoh said intercede for me pray for me and Moses said indeed I'm going out from you and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people but let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the children uh, the people go to sacrifice to the Lord now, that's tremendous boldness he's talking to a man who thinks he's divine and he is exhorting him not to be a liar in in the situation and so Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from uh, his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Pressure off, back to the old ways. This is his pattern. And then the Lord said, plague number five, the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. God's not, he's staying right on message, isn't he? He's nothing complicated about this. He's just staying right. So it's one thing that he's asking. And then he warns him, For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle. And then notice those next three words. They're good to circle, actually. In the field. Because later there's going to be a destruction of, of livestock and a later plague. And you say, well, if they all got wiped out here in plague number uh, uh, five here, then how are there uh, those to be, to, be plague, uh, to be destroyed in the hail that, that follows? This is only affecting the livestock that's in the field. Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field and on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And pestilence is disease. So God warns them that he's going to send a disease that's going to wipe out, uh, in large part, their livestock. Now, uh, again, they had many, many gods associated with livestock. Perhaps you've seen again in museums and pictures and books and these things where they had the gods with the head of a bull and, and these kinds of things. God is judging these false gods, they, these gods that are associated with the livestock, they've been given the responsibility of protecting the livestock, and, and there are actually multiple gods that were given that responsibility, worshipped by the Egyptians, and they are collectively not going to be able to resist God in, in this plague. And, uh, and so here is, here is the, the warning that is given. Would have been, this would be uh, economic devastation. 
to lose. Uh, to, you know, we deal with things. We have banks and money and put it over here and this and all of that. And it's, it's paper, it's coin, it's gold, it's what, whatever. In those days, your, your wealth, your retirement, your uh, whatever was, was tied up to those animals and to those crops. So to have them wiped out, I mean, he's going to really, uh, you know, uh, bring, humble them uh, economically. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel differentiation between the two all the way through now and then the Lord appointed a set time saying tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land and so the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died but of the livestock of the children of Israel not one died and then Pharaoh sent and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead he just couldn't contain himself he said go check that out See, I mean, we're just wiped out here, and go see if that really happened. They went over there, so they're all there. You know, I mean, it's just the flocks. They're just, they didn't even lose one. And then notice, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let uh, the people uh, go. So here God takes, and he not only judges the, the false god of, of the children, uh, uh, the people of Egypt, but he also takes and, and wipes out a great deal of the wealth that they have developed by uh, their misuse of, of the children of Israel, the enslaving uh, of them. Then we come to the sixth plague, and so the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let the Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So it's a plague of, of boils. Now, again, don't shout out. I don't know how many of you have ever had boil some people they, they deal with deal with that kind of, as a skin condition as a as, you know from adolescence and 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 on very very painful i've only had one boil in my whole life and uh wow it just go it does that get your attention until this thing gets taken care of and all imagine being covered from head to toe with with uh with boils here and and all of that so they, the, this is the kind of thing that is, is happening and, and all. And the Egyptians now, they, they're known for the great fear of plagues. They're really afraid of, of disease and, and, and health issues and all. And so they had uh, goddesses and gods that were, had power over disease. They had a god over pestilence. They had a goddess of healing and all of these things. God's judging all of those gods. They're powerless to help. The, children, uh, the people of, of Egypt. And then he took the ashes from the furnace and he stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven and they caused boils that broke out in sores on man and beast. Everyone is affected. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils were on the magicians and on all Egyptians. And so they have no answer for this. And uh, uh, they, they couldn't even protect themselves from the boils. In other words, their gods could not even protect their, you know, highest um, human representatives in, in all of this. And yet here is the Lord effortlessly protects his people in the land of Goshen. So it's the logical conclusion to that. 
Anybody interested in changing gods? I mean, it only makes sense. Which, what's more powerful in, in happening here? And then the magicians, they, they couldn't do it. And, and, the Lord, and the Lord hardened, verse 12, the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So at this point, the Lord now then hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Very, very important here. I don't have time to really get, you can listen online or whatever to Romans chapter 7 related to all of this. But as Paul uses Pharaoh as an example of, of God's sovereignty and of, uh, and, and of his power and that kind of thing. But here you have a situation where Pharaoh has six times it's recorded to this point. He hardens his heart, he hardens his heart, he hardens his heart over and over again. He hardens his heart. God steps in at this point and now he begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. He begins to confirm Pharaoh's heart in, in the decision that, that he has uh, made. And there is a point where God steps in and he can confirm us in the decisions that we've made. It will happen immediately after death. For a person anyway, or at the white throne judgment, uh, it, when, when the judgment of the lost occurs, end of the, of the thousand year reign of Christ, where whatever decision a person has made for eternity, for heaven, for hell, uh, rejecting Christ, accepting Christ and all, at that point, those that have rejected Christ, they've hardened their heart, hardened their heart, hardened their heart to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, all of their life, at that point, uh, the decision that they have made, God steps in and he confirms it now for, for eternity. So this is what, what is going on here. So never look at Pharaoh as like a, that this is a uh, violation of human responsibility, that he's not responsible for what, what happens from this point forth. He's fully responsible. That would be to take it too far uh, in, in the sovereignty issue if you're going to remove uh, you know, human responsibility because it's all the way up into this, this point in, in the sequence. And then the Lord said to uh, Moses... In the plague number seven, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. And he's, he's telling Pharaoh, listen, we put it kind of this way, Pharaoh there's more coming. There's more coming. I haven't even begun to break a sweat in what we've done so far. Don't, don't think that like if you can wait me out on this thing or you can tap me out on, on this thing. I can do a lot more. And, and again, he's trying to plead with him now to, to humble him, himself. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the uh, earth. And so he's saying, I haven't even begun again to show my strength. If I wanted to wipe you out, I could have wiped you out instantly. It's not an issue of, of my power uh, uh, here. I'm not trying to cut you off from the earth. I'm trying to get you to repent. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth as yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. And so here is Pharaoh. He thinks that he's in charge 
and uh, he's the boss of things, and the thing, how this is going to turn out could still hinge on him and his power and, and everything. But the Lord has raised him up, as he says here, as a way to make himself known to the whole earth. And how is he going to do that? By breaking Pharaoh's rebellion. God knew all along that Pharaoh was going to respond to his commandments with rebellion. And he could have just destroyed him in an instant, but he didn't, he didn't do that. Rather than destroying him, he allowed Pharaoh to rise to power in order to make a public example of him for all of history of the folly of attempting to resist God, even if you are the most powerful man in the world. So how much more, those of us who are not the most powerful men or women in the world? That's the point. He's, he's driving home in, in all of, of this. And behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. And, uh, and therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. So the, the size of the hailstones that are going to come down on Egypt are going to be the size that are lethal. Every once in a while you read about uh, hailstones the size of a golf ball or a, or a baseball or something like that. It happens. Your car's out there. Sorry about it. You know, I mean, it just it does a lot of damage. And so here the Lord, he gives them a heads up ahead of time. He warns them, listen, I'm going to do this. The hail is going to be lethal. Bring everything in, all servants, all animals uh, that, that are left. Get them inside a shelter because this is going to come. Now again, they had storm gods. They had sky gods. They had weather gods and all of these kind of things. Again, they're going to be ineffective in protecting uh, the Egyptians from uh, the power of God. And then notice now uh, the reaction of, of some of Pharaoh's servants. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his uh, servants and his, his livestock flee to the houses. So some of them are kind of getting the hint. Let's see. Um, so far, plague-wise, uh, I, I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but if, if, if I'm tracking with this right, so far, the God of Moses and Aaron is six for six. And uh, my Pharaoh is O for six. Get the servants and the animals out of the field and into shelter, you know, uh, on this thing. So some of them are, it's beginning to dawn on them. They're breaking. Oh, they're breaking away now from, from Pharaoh and his stubbornness. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord, he left his servants and his livestock in the field. Again, to, uh, to devastate the remainder of, of the animals in, in Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all of the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And so Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire, speaking of lightning, uh, darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, Egypt, and so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so heavy that there was none like it in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout all the land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast, 
And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, uh, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And so, again, that differentiation. And Pharaoh sent and he called for Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, I have sinned this time. Well, here's a little progress. He's not being sincere, but, but he's getting the right words anyway. I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people are wicked. Now, he's not sorry for his rebellion against God, his his public fight with God. He's not sorry about that. He's sorry about the consequences of of his sin and his uh, rebellion. And you know how you know that? As soon as the pressure gets taken off, you go back to your rebellion. That's That's how that works. And so I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. My people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no, no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And so Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'm going to spread my hands to the Lord. The thunder's going to cease. There's going to be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. And so what God is telling us is uh, one crop, a couple crops were destroyed as a result of the hail and, and, uh, and all. Remember, this, all these plagues take place over a period of about nine months to one year. And so later on when the locusts come in and they wipe out the trees and all the rest of the vegetation, sometimes people wonder, well, what happened? I thought it all got wiped out under the hail. No. But some of it, uh, 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 the crops were just beginning to emerge from the earth. They were unaffected by, uh, by the hail plague. And then by the time the other plague comes, they're now uh, providing vegetation for, uh, for the locusts that would, would come. And so Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord. And then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. And so the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would they let the children of Israel go as the Lord uh, had spoken by Moses. Chapter 10. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and, uh, and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things which I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And so there's going to be this next plague, uh, the locusts and all, and God is bringing this plague and all the plagues on, on as a demonstration of his power, not only to the Egyptians, but to the to the children of Israel. Now remember, they've been in bondage for 400 to 430 years. And they've got like this distant kind of relationship with God. They know that the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worship this God and all this thing. They don't have a personal relationship in the way that we, we know a personal relationship with God. 
Um, they look to him, they know that he is, is their God, but they're dealing with him very much in a historical sense. And so what God is doing now is he is, he is not only trying to secure their release, but he is showing them his power. He's developing a relationship with them. So once they do leave Egypt, they'll know, at least they'll know, their God is a very, very powerful God who is very, very interested in securing the release of his people. And God said, I am making... God could have just, you know, uncle, and boom, they're out. 48, you know, hours on things. But one of the reasons God is doing it the way that he is so spectacularly, lots of reasons, but one of them is, is so that, that they could then, the fathers could tell the children, the grandfathers could tell the grandchildren of the greatness of God and delivering them from, uh, from Egypt. And so this would be such a pivotal part of their history that, that, they, that they would speak it from one generation to the next. And so Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And that's the problem. The lack of humility, let my people go that they may serve me. But again, Pharaoh thinks he's a god. Somehow he thinks that somehow who he is is going to pull it out in the last second. But he isn't a god. He's just a silly little man who believes a stupid thing about himself. That he's a god. And, and, and so he's refusing to humble himself. And the Lord warns through Moses and Aaron, or else... If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Now, we read locusts and say, fine, that's something that you feed to lizards that you buy and frogs at the animal pet store and that kind of thing. We have, any of you been, anybody seen a plague of locusts just come through an area where you've just been in it, other than a movie, not talking about movies? Anybody seen that? All right. All right, how many of you have seen it on a movie? Okay, well, well, it's a few of us. It's pretty amazing. You see, the documentaries and, and these things, they just come in, and uh, the sound. I mean, they're just chewing up, eating everything. But for in the ancient world, to hear that locusts are coming, I mean, there was, when locusts came, it was like an army. There was no stopping them. And it happens even today. I think it was just a couple of years ago. I forget where it was in the Middle East, but they had a, a locust, uh, you know, kind of uh, come up, uh, uh, whatever you call them, other than a plague, and, and sweep over a land and just wipe out everything in its path. So it's still a problem uh, even, even to this day. So he warns now of locusts being brought into the territory, and then, as if that wasn't bad enough, God talks to them about the degree uh, of, uh, with which they're going to come, and they shall cover the face of the earth. Now, in their mind, that means everything's gone. Look today, look at anything that's green, because it's going to be gone once these guys show up. They eat everything. They'll cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. That makes for a fun walk along the canals, huh? So, uh, crunching on those, you won't even be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. They shall eat every tree which grows up. For you out of the field, they shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your uh, uh, fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. They've never seen a plague of locusts like this. And he turned, and then he walks out 
from, from Pharaoh. And then uh, Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? And so they start to speak up now, and I'm getting pretty bold. They're talking to a guy who's supposed to be God and saying, and Pharaoh apparently is a little bit out of touch with what's happening out there in the land and all. And they're going as far as they can without crossing a line, encouraging him, listen, we're, let this thing happen. And so Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said uh, to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Now he's going to offer a third compromise here. And he's, what he basically is saying is, You men can go, but don't take the women and children. You can't, can't take them. So third compromise, listen guys, you want to get all excited about the Lord, you want to get all excited about following God and all that stuff, don't drag your wives into all that and don't drag your kids into all that. I mean, just raise the kids in the ways of Egypt, raise them in the ways of the world, you know, let, don't tell them that anything is absolutely true about any God in, in the world, tell them all the gods are good, and then when they're old enough to decide for themselves, then they can decide what God they want to follow, which is absolute nonsense. And we're to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's older, he will not depart from it. But that's kind of the thing. You go do your thing, but don't be messing your kids up with that. And I'll tell you something. I mean, a lot of you guys have experienced that. Where here you are, God changes your life. You're born again as a couple and that kind of thing. And you start to raise the children in that way. And boy, some relatives can get pretty testy about that and voice it. You know, what are you doing saying no to the kids like that? And I notice you swat them every once in a while, too, you know, and everything. And, and well, we call it applied psychology. We're very, you know, on, on the, and, and they can come in and now everything changes and they can really be troubled by it. And it's, it's just the way Satan comes in and the way Pharaoh comes in here now. You go do it, but don't be messing with your kids on this. And Pharaoh said, Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. He rejects the compromise. And then he said to them, uh, Pharaoh does, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Well, okay, Mr. O for six man. Let's see how, uh, actually, O for seven at this point. And he said, Not so. I'm not letting you go now. Go now, uh, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Tough, I mean, just unteachable and then the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land and all that the hail has left and so Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, rested on the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, these, they nor shall there uh, be such after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth. I mean, the whole country's covered there, so that the land was darkened. I mean, they, you looked up and they're flying overhead, and the sun can't even get through on they said that a a, 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 a locust 
you know, kind of plague that comes in like that. Uh, 100 to 200 million locusts per square mile. They're talking about covering the land of, of Egypt here. And they're always hungry. They're like teenagers. Uh, they're always uh, hungry. They'll eat, they will eat their weight in food every day. Every day. And that's what's come on, on the land. They covered the face of the earth, the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land, all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And so there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. It looked like the moon. And then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore please forgive my sin only this once and treat the Lord your God Wah, 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 that he may take away uh, from me this, this death only. And so he went out from Pharaoh and he entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away, blew them into the Red Sea. And there remained not one locust in all of the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. Plague number nine, and we'll close with this. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land uh, of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. I've never, I hear people talk all the time about going to those caves where it's so dark you can't even, you know, get anything. And it talks in Revelation about uh, things being that dark, uh, one of the, uh, you know, plagues that comes on the world at that time and all. But you can really go uh, cuckoo. You know, in that kind of, a, of extended darkness and all. Now, Egypt had their, their biggest, most famous, most powerful god was the god of the sun. They worshipped the sun. And uh, so this darkness now is a judgment against their strongest god, inability to keep light shining there in Egypt. And so, stretch out your hand toward Egypt, that there may be darkness over all of, of uh, darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may be felt. And so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another. Honey, are you there? <laughs> You're just bumping into each other. You know, I mean, you, you couldn't see anybody else, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. I'm not moving. I'm not, nobody went from house to house or any of those things. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And then Pharaoh called to Moses and he said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. So you go serve them and, and let your little ones go with you. I'll do all that, but leave all your flock, leave all your wealth behind in Egypt. And, uh, and so probably a couple reasons. Number one, they wanted the wealth of the animals. But, but remember now, the herds and the flocks of Egypt have been more than decimated, virtually destroyed. So they're looking for this animal pool now to replenish their flocks and herds and, and that, that kind of a thing. And, uh, and so go ahead, just leave all of this stuff behind. Go get... Go get into God like crazy. I mean, take your wives and your children. Go do the whole thing. Don't take your money there, though. Don't, you're going to church twice a week. Now, I, I bet you're giving them money. People do that. 
And, and so here's Pharaoh, he comes in just the way that Satan does. Go do all of that, but keep all your money going toward Egypt. Keep it going toward, you know, the things of the world and that stuff. Don't be, don't be taking your wealth and, and making it influential for the kingdom of, of God. And Moses said, you all must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and we don't know which animals he's going to want to have sacrificed to him until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And then Pharaoh said, to Moses and Aaron, get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more, for in the day that you see it, you shall die. Next time I see you, gentlemen, I am going to kill you. No, nope, I don't think that's going to happen. But that's, that's how he feels. And so Moses said, you have spoken well, I will never see your face again. Now he's going to go on and, and speak to him immediately about the tenth plague. And then one day uh, following that, Moses is going to stand before Pharaoh one more time. But it will not be as a representative of God to deliver a message to Pharaoh. This official capacity ends with the parting that occurs right there. And uh, we'll stop there tonight and pick it up uh, with heading into the Passover next time. If the worship team would come forward and uh, the men that are going to serve communion would come forward.